Yes, this morning's reading begins in Mark chapter 15, verse 42. And as Clive said, it's found on page 1023 in the Church Bibles. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked him for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen, some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on that first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was a very large and had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. Do um, keep your Bibles open and um, let me pray. Uh, before we come to look at this passage together. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the chance to come together uh, and to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus today. Uh, We thank you for Mark's gospel, that it is good news uh, for us about the Lord Jesus. And we pray as we look at the end of Mark's gospel today, you would help us to appreciate and believe again Uh, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, the good news of all that he's done for us. And we pray that you'd help us to think through what that means to us um, today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, whether you were uh, around in 1969, I wasn't, or not, you will know these words pretty well. That's one small step for man. You can probably finish it off. One giant leap uh, for mankind. That's apparently, well, it is what the American astronaut Neil Armstrong, uh, the first man on the moon, said. 
And it was a pretty uh, impressive achievement, uh, a defining moment uh, in history, landing on the moon. But I wonder, uh, do you really believe it happened? There are uh, conspiracy theories out there, aren't there, which claim it was a hoax uh, to outdo the Russians, to beat them in the space race. Uh, They question uh, the validity of the Americans' claims to really have been the people who landed the first man on the moon. The flag in the famous picture, it appears to be waving, but there's not any wind on the moon. There are some unexplained shadows on the face of the moon, but only one direction from which the light was coming. There's a mysterious object on Neil Armstrong's spacesuit, which they don't know or don't seem to know what it is. I wonder if you think it's a reasonable thing to believe that that event really happened, or whether you just think, I've spent far too much time reading conspiracy theory websites this week. Well, whatever you think uh, of those theories, I imagine for most of us, those initial moon landing events don't really make uh, a drastic difference to our day-to-day lives. Uh, You might even say that you don't really care because you're not much of a space person anyway. Well, people today claim, don't they, that the resurrection of Jesus was also a hoax. It didn't happen. Uh, It's unreliable. And whether you are much of a a Christianity, uh, religious, resurrection type of person, uh, unlike the moon landings, uh, the resurrection really uh, does matter. It matters so much that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 said that if the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, the Christian teaching, all that Christians teach and preach, uh, the Christian faith, uh, the Christian hope, they all fall completely flat on their face. The resurrection is as important uh, as the bottom brick uh, in a game of Jenga. If you've ever played that, you'll know what I mean. You take the brick out and the whole thing comes crashing down. It's completely pointless for me to be standing up here this morning. Uh, Your faith uh, is futile, and Christians are to be pitied because they've got a baseless hope for everything that they believe. So whether we like the idea of the resurrection or not, that doesn't really matter. What matters is whether it really happened. Because if it doesn't happen... Uh, Paying any attention to Jesus' words, to be honest, is a complete waste of time. Now, in this passage, you'll be pleased to know, uh, Mark teaches that the resurrection really did happen, that it is reasonable. Uh, And he teaches us that because the resurrection is reasonable, it means that Jesus' words, all of them, are completely reliable. And so whether you're already a Christian and you're pretty convinced, whether you're someone who's a bit of a sceptic, or whether you're just sat on the fence and you're not really sure, the resurrection of Jesus in history has life-changing implications for us day to day today. So we're going to think about those three things. Firstly, we're going to think about the reasonableness of the resurrection. And you need to look back at verse 42 to 47 with me. Let me just um, read it out. Apologies if it's a, a slightly different version. Verse 42. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. 
So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. Well, the first thing um, to note is that Jesus really died. That is really quite important, isn't it? If somebody's not dead, they can't rise from the dead. And Mark shows us Jesus was clearly dead. We've got a respected Jewish leader here, Joseph. Uh, We've got a professional executioner. This is his day job to confirm people are dead. And we've got a powerful Roman governor who is desperately wanting to make sure that Jesus really is dead, Pilate. And in a culture uh, where you only need two witnesses, you couldn't get three more reliable, respectable witnesses. And they all confirm, don't they? Jesus was dead. Joseph is going to give him a burial. There's only one reason I can think of why you would do that. Uh, We know from other Gospels this was his own tomb that he was giving up. Uh, The spices, the linen, they were coming at his own expense. He's sure Jesus is dead. And besides, you don't wrap a man and trap him in a tomb if you remotely think he's got a chance of being alive. You've got Pilate. He's suspicious. He's surprised. And so he double-checks before he gets rid of the body. And that only happens once the centurion, a guy who's witnessed hundreds, probably thousands of crucifixions, confirms Jesus was really dead. Now, some people uh, have a theory called the swoon theory. You might have heard of it. The idea that after all of Jesus' floggings and crucifixion, Jesus wasn't actually dead. He miraculously recovered uh, in the cool of the tomb. Not only that, but he recovered so much that he was able to unwrap himself from the linen. He rolled away the huge stone. He got past the the armed Roman guards who were outside. He walked eight miles. That's like one of Keith's walks, isn't it? Um, Probably not quite as long. Eight miles to Galilee. And then he was able to convince the disciples that he was enjoying a fully resurrected body. Now, not only does that fly in the face of the facts that we're told, it's pretty ridiculous, isn't it? It's very unreasonable. Jesus was dead. He was really dead. But was he really alive? Well, have a look um, at chapter 16 with me. Verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? I don't know if you noticed in our reading, but Mark repeats himself. He emphasises the fact that it's Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James 
who see the location of the tomb, verse 47, and then again in the very next verse, he names them again to say those are the ones who go back on Sunday morning, uh, verse 1. And the angel makes a a similar point, really, as they hear the message in verse 6. The angel says, see the place where they laid him. It's really clear that both Marys knew where they were going. They'd seen it. And it's really quite harsh to suggest that both of them were so stupid and forgetful that they didn't realise that they'd gone to maybe a wrong tomb. It's not a very good argument. In any case, that wrong tomb theory, perhaps you've heard that one before, uh, they'd gone to the wrong tomb, Jesus' body was hidden in another one. Uh, That doesn't really work because the Jewish leaders, the Roman authorities, they could have easily pointed out the error by just popping up uh, and pulling out a body from another tomb. Neither of those two things uh, happened. Notice as well, though, Mark emphasises that the women were the witnesses. Now, unlike today, in Jewish culture, women were not deemed uh, reliable witnesses. If you were inventing a story that you wanted the world to believe, you would not use uh, a couple of trembling, petrified women as your primary witnesses. It would not aid a convincing story to Jewish ears. The only reason you would include women as witnesses was if you simply wanted to record what had happened. Which kind of kicks into touch the idea that Mark was just making this stuff up to convince people. Notice as well, Mark highlights the women were not expecting what they saw. They were going to anoint a dead body. They'd gone pretty prepared. They didn't think Jesus was going to be alive. Their mind was on how on earth they were going to move this massive stone. Which again, debunks the idea that they hallucinated everything that they saw. Because they were predisposed to believe it. They didn't believe Jesus was really going to rise from the dead. It wasn't in their thinking. And that whole hallucination idea doesn't work on a whole number of levels. The fact that there were three of them doesn't fit with what we know about hallucinations. Different people don't hallucinate the same thing at the same time. And certainly when we look across the rest of the New Testament, as we see the rest of Jesus' resurrection appearances, over 40 days, that doesn't fit with hallucinations. Certainly not 500 people seeing Jesus all at the same time. In a few uh, short verses, Mark uh, completely debunks the whole idea of conspiracy theories. Uh, Maybe if you've got some others, it'd be good to chat after the service. But he leaves us with just one other explanation that the women heard from the angel at the empty tomb. Have a look back at what the angel says. Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified, he has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. The angel is essentially saying, Jesus really died, and that same Jesus really rose. I wonder if you can think 
of a more reasonable explanation. If you believe uh, in a God, the resurrection really isn't that ridiculous to believe, is it? Mark is showing us that that Jenga block at the bottom of the Christian faith is reasonable. He's not trying to pull the wool over our eyes. Uh, Jesus really did rise, uh, really did die and really did rise. It is the only reasonable explanation to the empty tomb that these women found. It's the only reasonable explanation for the many resurrection appearances across the rest of the New Testament. And I'm quite sad we don't have time um, to look at them uh, this morning. The resurrection, though, is reasonable. And that means if you're a Christian believer, you can be incredibly confident. Beyond confident. Jesus really died and really rose. And if you're a sceptic this morning, then there is a challenge for you. Because to remove the bottom Jenga block of the Christian faith, to deem it unreasonable and perhaps importantly irrelevant to your life, you need to come up with a more reasonable explanation for the empty tomb and those resurrection appearances. Let me quote from a former atheist who did try to do exactly that. He concludes, In the end, after I had thoroughly investigated the matter, I reached an unexpected conclusion. It would actually take more faith to maintain my atheism than to become a follower of Jesus. They're the words of a man called Lee Strobel. There are a number of his books on the bookstore. Uh, and you'd be very welcome to pick up one after the service afterwards. What about that if you're just not sure? You'd call yourself an agnostic. We can't really know what happened. Well, I think Mark pushes you to realise that is an untenable position. Jesus was really dead. The tomb was really empty. And perhaps not just from this passage, but... From the rest of the New Testament, as we see the resurrection appearances to so many different people, we've got to account for them. And if you still think after all of that, it's all made up, how do you explain why these men and women were willing to die for something that they knew to be a lie? Just doesn't add up. Well, it may be that you simply still say, I'm still not into this resurrection, religious, Christianity stuff. Just like you're not into a type of music or some kind of sport. We're going to see that's a very blind and dangerous position to stand in. Because when we look at what the angel says in a bit more detail, we go on to see that because the resurrection is reasonable, it means that Jesus' words are proved reliable. Unlike the moon landings, it means we simply cannot ignore the resurrection and Jesus' words. So that's what we're going to look at now, that the reasonable resurrection proves Jesus' words reliable. There are five crucial words uh, as we come to understand the implications of it for us. And there they are in verse 7. The angel announces Jesus is risen and then tells the women... Go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Just as he told you. Now, if you've been at St. Mary's this term in the mornings, you'll know 
that at least four times in Mark, Jesus has told his disciples he is going to die and then he's going to rise. See if you recognize these words. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Mark 8.31, 9.31, 10.33, and then in slightly different words, which we'll come to, chapter 14, verse 27 to 28. If there are more, you can point them out to me afterwards. But they are remarkable predictions. And every single one of them we've seen takes place just as he told them. Now, often people tell us they are going to do something, don't they? Politicians tell us they are going to do all sorts of things. Sometimes they do them. Your teenagers tell you that they're going to be home before nine o'clock. Your husband tells you that he really is going to get round to that little job around the house at the weekend. Uh, At work, I really will send you that email later. Uh, Perhaps we reassure people sometimes by saying, I give you my word. I will do it. Now, when people don't do those things, we increasingly don't take what they say seriously. My dog, when I tell him that we're going for a walkie, soon realises that sometimes we aren't, and I'm just winding him up. It's cruel, I know. but... (laughs) But when people do do the things... Um, that they say they're going to do, when they consistently do the things that they say they're going to do, especially when they're really big things that seem almost impossible things, well, don't we start to trust them? Well, what's happened in the last few chapters of Mark's Gospel? Jesus has been betrayed. He's been arrested, just as he said. He's died just as he said. He's risen from the dead three days later. And he goes, if we were to uh, carry on reading through the New Testament, to meet the disciples, where? In Galilee, just as he said, just as he told them. Now, I wonder if you can think of anybody in the world whose word is so reliable that they say something so big that they will rise from the dead And they actually do. Just as they said. The resurrection proves Jesus' words wonderfully and also scarily uh, reliable. Let me um, finish uh, applying this by getting us to look a little bit more specifically back through what Jesus has said uh, in Mark's Gospel. Because each of the things uh, that, they, that he says calls for uh, a really radical change uh, in our lives. The first thing is with regards to the disciples. Do you remember the state we left them in before the cross? They'd all deserted. They'd denied Jesus completely again and again. Just, interestingly, as he said, they would. Peter uh, was beside himself at the end of chapter 14. He wept. He thought it was all over. But Mark chapter 14, you might like to flick back there, verse 27 uh, to 28. Jesus spoke about being struck. He spoke about his disciples being scattered. He said to them, after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Do you notice that's exactly what the angel says here? 
It's a message of massive, huge, uh, wonderful comfort to a bunch of followers who think they've stuffed up and failed Jesus so badly that it's all over. Their relationship uh, with Jesus, with God, is finished. But Jesus tells them that the resurrection, well, the implication is that the resurrection means their relationship with God is restored, with God's king. It's confirmation for us today, as we celebrate uh, Jesus' resurrection, that however much uh, we falter and fail and stuff up, which we do, if our faith is in Jesus, we can be completely certain of a restored relationship with Jesus today and on into eternity. Now, I remember a few years ago, I was visiting uh, Turkey. Uh, I walked up the street where one of the um, suicide bombs off, went off recently, actually. Uh, we visited the Blue Mosque uh, in Istanbul. It's a great place to go and see. And the call to prayer went out, uh, and literally thousands of Muslims went to pray. Each of them were wearing... Uh, the right attire, they took their shoes off to go into pray, uh, they faced the right way, they seemed very genuine, much more genuine and serious than often uh, many of us would come to church to worship God together. Yet none of them, none of them left that meeting with any assurance that they were forgiven and that they were restored to a right relationship with God. No assurance at all. Now a Christian can be sat anywhere in the world wearing anything they want, praying in whatever direction, or not even praying at all, with the most checkered history imaginable. But because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, they can be completely confident that God's anger and wrath has been satisfied, that they've been forgiven, that the ransom price for their souls has been paid in full, and that eternal life is completely sure. Isn't that wonderful news? To be able to sit here today and know that. We can confidently rejoice as Christians. Anyone who puts their faith in the Lord Jesus can confidently know that. That's what I mock calls it the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, that's the good news, but there's a warning as well. The resurrection means we need to take seriously uh, Jesus' warning. There are warnings of future judgment for those who oppose the authority of Jesus and don't turn to him. Again, you might have to look back through Mark to try and spot them. But in chapter 12, Jesus spoke about the future destruction and condemnation of the Pharisees. Verse 9 and verse 40, if you want to look there later. In chapter 13, in fact all of chapter 13 really is about judgment. But verse 24 particularly, we read of when Jesus will return uh, in judgment. Mark 8, verse 38, I'll read this one out. If anyone is ashamed of me, that's Jesus... And my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man, that's Jesus again, will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. He's talking about a final judgment day. The resurrection, then, if Jesus' words are proved reliable, is a massive warning 
to those who oppose Jesus' authority. And that applies to you whether you are a religious-y type, Christian-y type, resurrection-y type person or not. Strikingly in Mark, uh, I don't know if you noticed, the Pharisees, they prove that you don't need to live like a war criminal to oppose his authority. You can look like an incredibly respectable religious churchgoer. Yet in your heart you can be opposing Jesus as your Lord and as your Saviour. You secretly, uh, quietly, gently want control. And still you think you can contribute something to your salvation. But the resurrection proves Jesus' words reliable. He will return uh, in judgment. I wonder if that's part of the reason the women were completely right to tremble at the tomb. They were scared when they heard he was risen. Someone has defeated death. Uh, They've got the power of God clearly And this is someone who warned about final judgment. The women hadn't understood all the implications at this point. They did come later, though, to understand the comfort that the resurrection brings if their faith is in Jesus. If you are, though, in opposition to Jesus' authority, listen to the warning uh, of the resurrection. It calls for a radical change. Lastly, the resurrection means taking seriously Jesus' call to discipleship. Let me read from chapter 8, verse 34. Do you remember these words from right back when we started the second half of Mark? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus said, didn't he, denying ourselves, uh, losing our life now is necessary. But put that alongside what we see from the resurrection of Jesus. It proves Jesus' words to be true. It means sure forgiveness of sins, everlasting life is sure. It means that denying ourselves to follow Jesus is not only the sensible and right thing to do, but it's totally worth it. I don't know about you, but there are so many things that we find ourselves concerned about or complaining about in this life when it comes to following Jesus and the gospel. When it affects our time or infringes on our family. When it demands... um, too much time from that time we'd marked as relaxation time, me time. Or when it affects our personal preferences about how things might or should or shouldn't be done. When it affects our energy levels and we go home completely exhausted. When it affects our wallet. Maybe if it affects our sex life, our online activity, our friendships, our reputation. Isn't it refreshing, though, to see that before the women understood the implications of the resurrection fully, they were just like we are. They were fearful, very, very fearful. 
and they were very quiet about the news. Isn't it so often we don't deny ourselves because we're fearful and so we stay quiet. We don't fully live out the Christian life as we ought to. The resurrection, though, means taking seriously Jesus' call. Knowing Christ did die to fully pay uh, the penalty for your sin, knowing that his words are reliable, that you're forgiven, that your eternity is secure, isn't it totally right to be willing to lose everything for him now? And isn't it totally worth it? Losing everything now to follow Jesus, you will gain everything. Last weekend, um, we had a conference here for the teenagers, and it was very much um, brought home uh, with a simple little phrase in the final um, talk. And it was just pointed out to us all that because of the resurrection, essentially the life that we have now is our spare life. It's our spare life. It's really worth thinking about that the life we have now as a Christian is a spare life. And so it's even more worth it to give up everything for Christ. You can know because of the resurrection you really aren't losing anything. Those things, they call for radical and ongoing change in our lives. Whether you come as a convinced believer this morning or not. Let me um, just conclude what we've looked at. The resurrection is believable. Uh, sorry, is reasonable. It's not a hoax. Jesus really died, he really rose. Uh, we can be confident. The resurrection proves Jesus' words reliable. It happened just as he said. And so we ought to take seriously all of his words. Lastly, the resurrection calls for radical change. It means we can rejoice in a sure promise of forgiveness and eternal life. It means we need to take seriously his warning of judgment. And it means as we go out as followers of Jesus, we ought to consider afresh what it means for us to personally take up our cross fearlessly. Not following a dead king, um, but the risen Lord, who when he does come back, will take us to be uh, with him in glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he really did rise from the dead. We thank you that all of his words are, are reliable. Help us um, to confidently trust them. We pray that you would help us to think through what it means for us uh, to follow uh, the risen Lord Jesus. We ask in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. No good.